Let me just change my screen view because I can only see who's talking at the time. Oh. I'm not That's editing good. this out. No. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone will know who he is now just from the voice. He's so well known. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I am Clint Jasper. I am a rural reporter at the ABC based in Melbourne. Um, one of a handful of national rural reporters, which is a pretty large beat. Right on. on the Ag, Ag Watchers podcast. There you go. You finally, oh, you finally made it to the big time. My debut. <laughs> <laughs> lifelong, the- life, lifelong dream. It's like, uh, what do you call it? What's that thing called? Where they send bucket. kids, when they send kids oh, to yeah, Disneyland? Yeah, yeah. Make a wish. Um, make a wish. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say a bucket, a bucket list, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Say more, yeah. t- more like long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, that's, that's probably, this is why we've got a professional on. We get all the big names. feedback from day one. I was the original protester against the hokey Oh, music. you were, you hated the music. <laughs> and you, and so now you've come around to it, surely, because you've heard it so much. Well, it's tolerable. I think it wore me down. <laughs> it's very hard, it's very hard finding royalty-free music. <laughs> oh, I'm very well aware of that. So... We had to do it somehow. That's why we had that took minutes of editing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why we had to we had to sing the intro to the with the just the two of us because we couldn't use the actual original. <laughs> <laughs> we had to play royalties; it cost too much. Yeah, fuck <laughs> that! Fuck that! No, I always yeah. when I'm making video, like editing videos at the ABC, I always edit to music from Spotify that I you know, we'll never afford in a million years. And then we've got something here called a beatbox, which is just a hard drive of royalty theory music. And kind of the whole vision starts to fall apart as you stick these little like title tracks called like Dramatic Forest or Stamping. Like quite often an editor will just put in hokey um, blue steel guitar over any story that starts with drone vision over a paddock. And I'm like, no, no, that's not the vibe we're going for. <laughs> modern, modern agriculture. Yeah. Right, oh, we better get into it because yep. it's Friday night. And mm-hmm. We've all got plans. I'm going to bed soon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you two are up to. So we'll start off with the sixth sense. Clint, I'm not sure if you're aware of the sixth sense, uh, but we're going to test your uh, mental fortitude. By asking you six questions, phrases, or words, and you give us the first thing that comes back, either a short answer, or one word, or a long answer like Bob Catter that goes on for half an hour. <laughs> and Matt will keep count uh, because he's the mathematician. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I'm ready. Murray Darling Basin Authority. <laughs> Off to a great start. Um, uh, Complex. Complex, good one. Rocks. Defeated. I'll explain that one. I have tried to resist them and I still Uh. don't like them, but I cannot deny that they've sunk their claws into every segment of the consumer market. And so I have to admit that I'm in the wrong in my dislike of them. Or in the minority. Black pudding. Untested. Was it me again? Mm. Oh. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> La- landline. 
best ABC asset? Oh, it's going to be some some arguments on Monday morning. <laughs> um, back roads. <laughs> Great outreach. The Ag Journal Awards. Bucket list item. But, but it's not a bucket. Well, but it's not. It's not a bucket list for you anymore. Well, we, we, that's that's. Yeah, what we no, need but to... I can reflect on oh. a bucket list achievement in my life. Yeah. How, how many years in a row have you won it? Uh well, I would say every year that it's been running. <laughs> three. Yeah, that's it. Three years. It's well. It's, for those that don't Twice. know, it's, there is a there is an underground journalist award, the Ag Journal Award, <laughs> we that the Ag Watchers deliver to a respected journo every year, the Ag Journal of the year. And Clint Jasper's won it three times in a row. So that's that's the caliber. Twice. Twice. Thrice. Thrice. Twice. Thrice. <laughs> no, I thought it was Thrice. three, wasn't it? Yeah, it was oh, yeah, yeah. The pub yeah, one. Yeah. The one well, that was the only one that showed up. <laughs> and then the <laughs> one in the room of people. <laughs> that's the one where I won Analyst of the Year award. <laughs> Self-estowed. Well, one day. One day we'll actually win a proper award. <laughs> I do have um on Saturday at lunch, one of the menu items was boudinoir. So I feel like I've had the French version of black pudding. Oh, black pudding. What's how was that? Uh it was good. It was like we we're doing a chef's menu. They were throwing things on the table every 15 minutes for about an hour and a half. And yeah, we all had to Google boudinoir, but it was it's black sausage in French. So yeah. do they have it's what the same they, thing? It was in a rectangle they... shape though, so made mm. more like a terrine. Okay, it might be a bit more like you know how we had that black sausage thing in um, you know, the, at the various establishments that you and I frequent, Andrew. At um, <laughs> the the one at um, I can't in, remember in, which, in Melbourne, I can't remember the time I had a black sausage with you in. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> In um, San Telmo. Once, once you go black pudding, you never go back. Uh, <laughs> no, the no, that was that was sweetbreads. No, we also had the black. We had that Spanish black yeah, know, sausage. That's, that's, Spanish yeah. black, that's Spanish black. Spanish black pudding. Yeah, well, that's the same thing. Like, it must be the similar one. This French one could be a similar. Every, Did they? Ev every country's got its own black pudding. Yeah. So it was pig's Cor blood Cor base. Cor Korea's got its own black pudding. Mm. Wow. And it's foul. Oh, really? Did you go to um, Jeju Island when you were there? No, nah, I just didn't Seoul. Okay. Because so I went on a journalism, a Walkley trip in 2015. Oh, see, listen to that. Listen to that. Name um, dropping. I went on a Walkley <laughs> trip. <laughs> I'll call it a junket, let's be honest. Um, and we went to Jeju Island, which is kind of like their Dunsborough, I guess, your nearest Great Ocean Road. Oh, yeah. um, and they're famous for a, a native big black hairy pig so every restaurant serving it was actually quite delicious hmm. pork in many forms you should have told me before i went <laughs> so how, how did you enjoy the french version of black pudding then what was it called yeah it was good like yeah. it was very rich but it was on a bed of um on a bed of, of vegetable. So yeah, the boudoir was on a bed of, and so yeah. yeah, it was. There was nothing left uneaten at that lunch, so everything was top notch. 
Oh, well, we'll, we'll just well, that would classify black pudding as being also top notch as well. We'll change the answer of untested to top notch, and so then he's <laughs> defeated. He's defeated on the Crocs, and he's saying that black pudding in all its different, you know, varieties is is uh, top, top notch. Look, we can't help it if we're setting trends all over the place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, now all the big fancy chefs are including it on their menu, Andrew. Exactly. So soon, soon we won't be able to get it ourselves on our little yeah. porpoise porpoise <laughs> salary of a of an analyst. Our well, analyst used, to, used to be a going away in beef cheeks. Used to be a porpoise food. Now can't get access to it. There we go. All right, let's get. We got you on now, Clint, because not not only are you the ag journal three years in a row, um, the ag journal. Yep. So <laughs> you're also a, an expert, the resident expert on what's going on with Murray Darling Basin and you know, water buybacks and all this kind of stuff. Well, and you, you te- mentioned te- Technically, you're the only person that's ever taken any interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, very, you... First and foremost, I would never call myself an expert. There's one thing I've learned about being in this space is that there are very few people who can call themselves experts. It's There's constantly, once you think you've got a handle on the state of affairs, you read some new report or see some new acronym that you had nothing, no idea about previously. So it's a pretty hard thing to be fully across. Um, but I came from WA, did ag at UWA. There was one section at the very end of a fourth year unit about water trading. And I think they just put up one slide, which must be their foundational equation in water trading, like the equivalent of their supply and demand curve. And they were like somewhere occasionally around the world, water is traded. And so the concept was pretty foreign for me because we'd just been learning about physical markets and broad acre agriculture for the last four years. And when I interviewed at the ABC, they said, is there anywhere you don't want to go? And the only thing I'd ever seen about the basin plan was the picture of those irrigators in Griffith setting it on fire. (laughs) <laughs> and Tony Burke's coffin. <laughs> I was like, not realizing even how big the basin was and what it meant to say, I don't want to go anywhere in the basin, which basically cancels out half the ABC bureaus. Um, but I ended up in Renmark and <laughs> many exasperated uh, irrigation trust guys there and irrigators and consultants sat at the table explaining the basin plan over and over and over again. And I still didn't understand it until properly about five years later when the drought started to really set in and water started to get very testy. I was like, all right, it's time to stop, fake it till you make it and actually learn this stuff. And you mentioned, because we got asked like a few weeks ago, Matt and I were at the Mm. rice growers uh, annual conference. And we were asked then about, uh, what's the word? Water water trading and water market Mm. chip. And they sort of said, well, look, we don't cover the water markets. <laughs> we we just said, I said, there's two markets that are just so complicated that nobody understands, water and carbon markets. Mm. And they're not real markets in the same way that, say, wheat, barley, or cattle, <laughs> or even dairy is. They're just so complicated. So, so t- tell, us, tell us what it is. Give us a, give us a one-on-one layman's simplistic terms so the basin plan which is you know includes rules for how the market operates but the basin plan start, basically... start off with, who's murray and who's his darling <laughs> murray <laughs> <laughs> that's history that 
uh, it's embarrassing that I don't know. I'm not exactly 100% sure who they're named after, but the Murray is the border between New South Wales and Victoria, and then it extends down into South Australia and the Lower Lake. The Darling starts, is fed into by all the ephemeral rivers in southern Queensland and snakes its way down through New South Wales, past uh, joins the Murray at Wentworth, and then they both flow out together to sea via South Australia. So there are two systems. The northern basin concerns, you know, everything kind of, yeah, in Queensland, northern New South Wales. Does the uh, self, does the self, is it concerned of the self? Well, I, the northern system is lots more unregulated flow. So the easiest way first for navigation and later for agriculture, the southern system is completely regulated. There's no kind of natural flow. All the water flows into storages and, you know, state-based organisations control how much is in the river at any one time. And the what, basin... what, what area denotes, is, is there a kind of, is there a, a section or is it that Barmer choke that that's north and south where that is or what's the... No, no, so we're thinking... Uh, a barmer choke would be more an upstream and downstream point. Yep. Um, it's, yeah, but north and south is, you know, uh, the southern basin is the lower stretch of the Darling, um, so Menindee Lakes, uh, right, south right. of that. And Menindee um, Lakes is where those fish died. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the Murrumbidgee, the Goulburn, um South Australia, all the South Australian section and all the rivers that feed into those. And then the northern section is your Gwida, um, yeah, everything up there. Where the flows are a lot more unregulated, they don't have as much sitting in storage. A lot of the rivers are called ephemeral. They, you know, will flow heavily when it's raining lots and not a lot when it's not raining. Whereas the southern system, you know, there's a lot more control over what's in the river and when. So that's your Murray and your Darling, that question answered. <laughs> and then the plan essentially is saying it sets a limit on how much you can take from the system every year. So they want to, by the end of the plan, have the equivalent of 3,200 gigalitres less available out of the uh, oh, more, sorry, 3,200 3, gigalitres of water for the environment at the end of the plan. So that would represent water, some water coming out of the agricultural consumptive pool and some of it, which makes it even more complex, they want to do through, I guess, water saving projects that are like an offset for water recovery. So so, so when does that, when's the, how long does the plan run till? When are you talking when they want that final well, at the water moment, back to the environment? The deadline is the middle of next year. Right. So... All of the, uh, I guess, stuff we've heard this week is the federal government introducing legislation, essentially asking to extend the deadlines for lots of these projects and, you know, all of the water recovery in the basin plan out to 2026 and 2027, because for a long time, the Productivity Commission report in uh, 2019 was basically saying like this all the projects that you want to achieve these offsets, essentially these water saving projects, they're not on track to be finished. There's, we've got huge red flags. And ever since 2019, there's been report after report warning that, you know, there's big 
concerns that these projects won't get finished and we've come to the final hour and the plan is to push out the deadlines. So, so can I, I go back a step here? Yeah? Yep. So we're talking about water can either go stay in the river or it can go to irrigators for argument's sake. But when you talk about using it for the environment, you're basically saying you're not pumping it into mangroves or anything. You're just allowing it to free flow. So the water licenses that are held by the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder, the ones that they've bought off irrigators, they're all subject to the same rules as an, irrigation, as an irrigator would have. So if it's uh, a gigalitre of water bought from high security Upper Murray water, then the same rules apply to the Commonwealth Environmental Holder using that and how they can move it around the system and, and where they can use it as it would for an irrigator in that system. So you're basically just, that's what it, the, the buybacks, which we've talked a lot about this week are, it's the Commonwealth buying that license off an irrigator. At market, they, they, at, but at it, market it, rates. Well, they do it through a tender. So um, it'd be pretty close to market rates. But you don't, um, you'd only sell it if you wanted to sell it, though. Exactly. Yeah, they're voluntary water purchases. Oh, so, okay. So what are people more about, then? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's voluntary. Like, yeah. you don't have to so, sell it. If you don't yeah, sell, yeah, but if you don't sell it, the market will go up. But that's the two sides, it? I guess, to it. Uh, yeah, these are always voluntary uh, sales. There are a few... Uh, around, um, there have been instances where the government has approached individual, like big corporates and said, we want this water in this area. So can we work out a strategic close tender purpose uh, purchase of this water? But, you know, in this latest round of buybacks, they opened a tender, people expressed interest. And I think this month they sent out letters to the successful applicants. Um, and so, there is an argument that water buybacks can provide a you know dignified exit from farming, um, but irrigation groups and irrigators in basin communities say that you know it contributes to an exodus from uh, basin communities, and you know if you're in an irrigation system and everyone's sharing user charges and maintenance charges and people are leaving, then the remaining people I guess are paying more to maintain the system as well and and once those ones have been bought back by the but would, government but, but wouldn't the government still be paying those servicing fees if they're still considered no different to an irrigator no because well i'm not 100 percent sure on that but i would assume not because they're not you know using the channels and pipes to get that deliver water onto a farm what about the, that water once it's been purchased as, as a buyback by the government? It's not ever going to come back, is it? No, it can't be used for agriculture again. Mm. Ever again? No. Nope. So there were, but, you'll but remember, did, but didn't, in but the didn't, last... didn't they do it in the last drought, though? No, I don't think they did. I remember Barnaby Joyce saying that the Commonwealth should, um, you know, give some of its water to farmers. And that's when, you know, the Commonwealth Environmental Water Holder was saying, if all of the New South Wales farmers are on 0% allocation, then our New South Wales licences are also on zero allocation. So, Because they, they're subject to the same rules, as you said yeah. at the start, right? Yeah. yeah. So but, how but does the, it work? But, but, they, but they are reducing available supplies. 
It's like it's 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 almost like a reverse of the carbon trading scheme. Like in this in this scheme, the government is removing supply, and, and the, the in the carbon that, trading scheme, they're, they're creating demand. They're creating so demand. there have been actually studies that looked at this. So Aether, which is based in Victoria, they did a regression of allocation, so spot market prices from ninety eight. I think to 2014. Yeah, it was a 2016 study. Um, and they found that the government purchase of water was less influential on the mm. spot price the than the actual available the than the actual availability of water in the system. So the, the primary driver of the temporary water price is how much water is actually in the system. Right now it's at rock bottom. Well, for the past couple of years, it's been rock bottom because we've been in flood. At the end of the last drought, it was, you know, approaching its highest ever level because there just wasn't any water around. And, you know, that's, I think, another study in 2019 did a different type of time series regression and again found that the influence of government purchases of entitlement was pretty minimal on both entitlement and uh, uh, prices. As a rough figure, yeah, like Commonwealth purchases... What would they be as a percentage of all the water? Well, we know, I guess the eventual aim of the basin plan is to remove a third of okay. water from the consumptive pool from a baseline um, prior to the basin plan. So they set a baseline and they said, this is how much we're reducing the take from the rivers by. And, you know, at the start, they wanted to or the plan was to have that all as water recovery and infrastructure upgrades. So modernizing all of the irrigation ditches, paving them and, and sealing them over to reduce evaporation. And then in 2017, they said, we'll reduce uh, that diversion limit in the South by 605, the North by 70, by swapping them out, swapping the water recovery for these essentially offset projects. So. They said to the state governments, if you can come up with a project that will deliver the same environmental outcomes as, you know, 50, 90, 70 gigalitres of water, then we'll take that off the amount that we're removing from the consumptive pool. And that this year is what the federal government has given more time to be completed because those projects were just really badly behind time. And in some cases, like the New South Wales Menindee project, it was pretty much dead on the water. Like it was that project was not going anywhere and that accounted for some pretty big um, offsets in water recovery. So the, that's so it's Murray-Darling Basin Plan is a federal plan. You mentioned the states just there and you've spoken before about allocations within New South Wales were a certain amount. And I think at the time that was the case where they were virtually zero, but in Victoria there were still some allocations available, I guess, based on regional rainfall or I don't know how they worked that. But what's the interplay? What, how do the states figure into the the kind of negotiation or the discussion or the plan? Well, most of the major decisions are made at ministerial councils and there's generally been an agreement that they need consensus for all of the big decisions, but it is a federal government plan. The, the Commonwealth is the head of power and the Commonwealth has the, I guess, power to acquire water through purchases regardless of if a state is a willing participant in that process or not. Currently, we have Victoria who won't sign on to the government's new plan because they don't support the use of buybacks um, in the government's 
I guess, new approach to uh, getting the basin plan done. In the drought, we had John Barillaro and Melinda Pavey constantly threatening to walk away from the plan. Um, but I guess all that really does is cut them off from the federal funding that they were going to receive for carrying out those water saving projects. There's not a lot legally that a state can do to stop the Commonwealth approaching those willing sellers or willing sellers approaching the Commonwealth and saying, I'm ready to sell water. So, but is as, it... as, so as a water saving thing, yeah. So if I was to get like a, I don't know, take a five minute shower a day instead of 10, can I get funding for that? Like what, what, what kind of money saving projects, what can, what can you do? Andrew, so you're water saving you're... projects, um, I guess, you know, um, in a theoretical example, if you've got a low lying wetland next to a river mm -hmm. and prior to, I guess, settlement and all the river being full of locks and weirs, every time it was, there was a heavy rain, that wetland would have inundated water would have flown over the bank. I guess some of these, the basis behind some of these water savings projects is saying if we put, you know, a pump on one side and a regulator on another side or, or and we can just draw water straight from the river into the wetland and inundate it, the saving is the difference between doing that and having to put so much water down the river that you cause the river to spill its banks. Yeah. So that's kind of the offset to water recovery. And then the New South Wales plan was to kind of reduce evaporation from Menindee Lakes by physically making it smaller. Um, and that plan just faced so much community opposition there that they had to abandon it. I just want to make a clarifying point before we move on, though, that Andrew mentioned about a five-minute shower each day versus a 10-minute shower. And from, so from someone from the UK, Andrew, we all know that you'd only probably have one shower a week on a Saturday night, potentially. It's what the normal historic pattern is, isn't it? Matt, I just wanted to know that I'll be putting a complaint in for <laughs> racial vilification. So I, don't, well, I want to check in at this point. Do you feel like you understand what the plan is based on what I've said? Because we can have a lot I do, of tracks. I feel like I understand it more than I did at the start. So it's essentially it's it's setting like, a limit. It wants to set a limit on how much water can be taken from the river each year, and that is less than a baseline of. Yep. So it's the same. It's exactly the same as carbon markets. Yeah. Reverse, like you said, a reverse. reverse carbon it's, a, it's a reverse carbon market. But, well, what? But, but can you explain? Yeah, I want. I want to. I guess I want to know a bit more about why farmers are annoyed by it. Oh, before you go to that though, can you explain? Because, like I said before, that the allocations within the state can vary though from one state to another. So who sets what you can draw or who, who sets, I mean, I know you've got your own. So your at, the, yeah. at the start of the water year, um, this was a topic that was very well traversed in the drought. This is not actually part of the plan. This is about an earlier agreement called the Murray-Darling Basin Agreement. And that was when New South Wales, South Australia and Victoria settled how they were going to share the water that was in uh, the Hume Dam and Dartmouth Dam, which are the major storages. So essentially at the start of the water year, which is the financial year, the Murray-Darling Basin lets everyone, every state know, Victoria and New South Wales, how much water they have in the storage. And what I was told at the time, I don't know if it's changed since, but the New South Wales approach is at the start of the year to say, here's how much 
you have, go for it. Like, you know, we've got X amount of gigaliters, so that means everyone's on X allocation this year. Whereas Victoria kind of holds, uh, meters it out more conservatively. And so um, that was one reason that Victorian irrigators had um, allocations while New South Wales were on, we didn't. And they're also different licenses, like the New mm. South Wales General Security, Murray General, General Security license is different to a, a, a low reliability low reliability share in victoria so but see, see, licenses work different so we should know a bit more about this matt because we actually did used to have we we, we held uh, some we um, held some high security licenses yeah correct um maybe we should have kept them <laughs> well i get fun. told all the time that you know quite often when an irrigation business is selling up into retirement that you know the water is part of the retirement fund they sell the farm and they keep the water and they lease it well and this this is where I don't get like I like I've heard farmers complain about it a lot, yeah. I haven't really taken much time to really read about it, but they're complaining about something they voluntarily sold. I don't think so you is, hear it, it, complaints. I don't think you hear complaints from people who have sold. I think you're hearing complaints from people who remain in basin communities and and want who, to buy and more. It, yeah, no, they're just they've watched you know, their communities decline since this process started. And, you know, I, I'm not, there's a whole academic, um, very intense debate over the uh, cause and causality of, of buybacks in the decline of regional basin communities. You know, some are flourishing like Mildura, um, Griffith, some are on hard times. And there's arguments that say that, you know, major centres versus smaller towns, the pattern is repeated all over the country, regardless of the agricultural well, that's, industry. That's happening in WA and there's no there's no water buybacks there. Well um, is it just is it is the is the frustration or the, the reluctance to embrace the plan more around the fact that there's just water that's going out of the system that won't be available and that's the concern that you know people in agriculture know how important water is and that if you know that there's going to be water continually removed from from what's available uh you know and it's never going to come back then is that where the frustration lies well it's it's not that it can never come back though well that's pretty much but isn't that isn't that the point of yeah, the, but water, not, the environment it's, it's, not, it's not like it's in the constitution it's no. legislative it can be it can be changed by... i think in the real politic of the day it's not coming back but i mean one thing you've seen since water trading um, I think I wrote a story in 2017 and it was just about the shift in agriculture or the the trade in water basically had facilitated the shift, you know, where once it was northern Victorian dairy farmers and annual croppers in the Riverina irrigating all year round, that shifted all the water essentially had moved downstream into permanent plantations in the lower Murray. So I guess um, the more expensive that water entitlement becomes and, you know, just the amount of effort and expertise it takes to engage with the water market, the more it favours a more corporate, uh, bigger setup where you've got people who can devote that time and effort into, you know, making sure that there is water for the crops every year it, it is it becomes harder for 
you know, single operator farms to be fully engaged with the water market and in addition to all the commodity markets and everything that they deal with as well. So, I mean, that's not really anything to do with buybacks as much as it, it just is running an irrigation business in this day and age. And that's one thing that came through very clearly in the ACCC. They just said, you know, a lot of people were bamboozled. I went to meetings, community meetings for the ACCC meeting where people stood up and told, um, yeah, told Mick, I don't have any idea what the water market is. And <laughs> they've been irrigators all their life. And so... I guess I guess the funny thing about it is, yeah, like, I'm not being arrogant or anything, yeah? But Matt and I know a little tiny bit about markets, yeah? Mm. But it still seems to be complicated, like compared mm. to any other market that you have. And I, I, think, it is. I think part of that is largely because of the government intervention. But if you think of it, it's just as... The Commonwealth is just another participant in it. It's no different to any other market, really. Yeah, but they still they, get to. They, but they still get to set the rules, though. They they're, get to they're, the a rules. they're a participant, and they're like the regulator as well. So it's you know it's kind of like having someone in charge of the ASX in the I functional capacity. I think capacity. it would be correct to walk away with the assumption that the government's intervention in the market has made it more complex. You know, if they never oh, no. bought. A, a gig of water, the market would be as complex as it is today. Hmm. True. They're just another participant. But they said they've got a big... Well, big... they're very careful about how they engage with the market. When Tanya Plibersek did the press conference a few weeks ago to announce these changes, you know, there was a flurry of questions about how much of the 450 will you buy back? How When will you buy it back? But and she basically said, you know, we won't say we're doing it until we're doing it because the mere thought that we could be in the market does have the ability to shift the market. Mm. So they're not in there every day buying and selling and trading. They go in when they want something and, yeah, that's they execute the buyback and they're not really daily participants in the market, I wouldn't say. It is interesting. Like... But you are right. Like people standing up at the ACCC forum saying they don't understand it. Is that a failing of the whole scheme, the whole water market? That I guess if you if you went, yeah, here's another. I think it's a generational thing. Like I don't think you'd hear a thirty year old, thirty five, thirty six, even forty year old irrigator ever saying something like that. Let, let's say you grabbed a hundred people, wheat farmers, and you started explaining options contracts to them how many people do you think would say they understand options and wheat futures i reckon i reckon it'd be the same number mm. or, or, my, or, or, or maybe less <laughs> or, or pro- yeah i, I yeah. understand it less than people mm. water market probably got a bit more of a need to know the fact that we have different types of allocations across different states does that make it more confusing like would it be a case to say oh, why don't we just have one set of you know like not as in like a, you know low low water entitlement high water entitlement whatever that whatever to call the descriptor but why don't we just have one of those types of categories across the whole of it's like it's like with meat wheat, you got well, a, you got asw you got apw you got yeah yeah, yeah it's no, no, pretty no. explicit in the constitution that the states have control over their own water resources so and how they how they set the access? Yeah, so you're never going to see a wholesale federal takeover of that level of water control. 
But you know what I'm because. saying? Like, we, if, if the states got together and said, well, let's agree on the, 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 the categories of entitlement, right? I'm saying, obviously, you've got to have more than one category. So, but whatever those categories are, why don't we just have some consistency across the states to say, this category, low, low access. Well, I don't think, record. yeah, the difference in licenses are huge. Like that's the job of intermediaries like water brokers. They, you know, are publishing those prices every day, basically. And part of the ACCC's reform process, which is happening now, is kind of harmonising how all the states record their trade data. Previously, one thing you'd hear very often is it was, you know, every state was publishing data, but it was just so wildly different in how it was presented that it was almost impossible to properly analyse. And part of the HCC's reforms is harmonising the state registry data. Okay, well, that's 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 kind of that's kind of like where I, that was that was what I was getting at. So that is yeah. that is on like that's happening kind of now, yeah. But yeah. so that will then help to make things a bit more clear if the, if there's some level of consistency even if they're called different things as long yeah, as they I don't think it's that hard to you know once you understand you know you can go to a a water broker and ask for what you need and they can normally find it so there are intermediaries and there always have been intermediaries in the space that have been able to carry out that task i think the issue around the complexity came up in the drought when there were rumours about market um, manipulation and or, you know, nefarious forces in the market. That was kind of the leading allegation that led up to the ACCC inquiry. And the data was just such so difficult to analyse that no ordinary person could ever prove or disprove anything. Mm. And so that kind of got us on this reform. I think that was one of the leading things behind David Littleproud's decision to launch that inquiry and we're on the Daryl Quinn and Libin roadmap to reform as we speak. That was, you mentioned about, was it in Griffith that was the things being burnt, but then there was, wasn't there an effigy, an effigy of David Littleproud thrown into the Murray at one stage there as well? Yeah, by my count, there's been uh, Tony Burke in a coffin David Littleproud thrown into the Murray, an effigy of Susan Lay. That's the ones I know of so far. <laughs> I, I think you know you've made it when you've got an effigy. I mean, if you have held the poison chalice of federal water minister and not got an effigy, then <laughs> I don't know. I haven't tried to shake the boat that much, I think. It is it is an odd one because it's... Because I look at it from a trading point of view, yeah? It's a voluntary market. There's no, there's no, you don't, you're not compelled to sell it, but you've got a government agency effectively, which has got big deep pockets and they're saying they have to buy it by a certain date. So if I'm sitting there owning it, there's no chance in hell I'd be selling it. I'd be holding out. I'd be talking to my mates around the pub saying, look, just guys, fellas, Hold out, and we'll see if we can hold these over a barrel. Because eventually, they're going to have to buy. You know, they got to buy by, was it 2027 or 2025? Or when is it? Uh, 2027 is the last of the last deadlines. So if that's so, last... But that could be right. Like, we're, we're looking like we're going to head into an El Nino, which might last a couple of years. So they could be having to buy water as we head into, you know, yeah, droughts right. in part of the country, right? 
Yeah. Um, they have a tender open now, so I guess that would be the last of the, um, I guess, buying in the good times. But the drought last time was like I was, it was not a fun time to be in the water space. Yeah. Things got really nasty. Um, but yeah, I guess the two sides of the buyback coin are, yes, they are voluntary. Um, if you ask irrigation groups and ask irrigators why they don't like them, they will tell you things about community decline, the loss of regional services, the... Oh, I don't know one. Food security. Food security, yeah. We, we will not be able to feed ourselves if we if we don't have uh, irrigation in that one area. I mean, it's not for me to be the arbiter of those claims, but yeah. <laughs> I could be it. Bullshit. You can feel free to wade into that <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I'm not sure. Did you say bullshit clearly enough there, Andrew, or not? Just try to sneak it in there. I'm trying to try to sneak it in. I'm trying to, I'm trying to reduce my swearing uh, on the podcast. Is it because uh, Auntie Julie gets annoyed if you swear? or Well, she'd just think I was uncouth. I think, though, one thing it does go down to, and this is, I guess, for me, the fundamental policy flaw of the whole Murray-Darling Basin plan is that you couldn't design a more top-down imposing policy on everyone in the system. No one is happy with the Murray-Darling Basin plan. Environmental groups think it's not worth the paper it's written on. Irrigation farming groups, you know, hate what it's done to their communities. They abhor the thought of more water recovery. First Nations groups have been completely left out of the discussion. It is the most top-down reform, I think, you know, in the style of John Howard reforms, this is when the ball really got rolling with this. And if you were to start all over again, you would start with proper listening and proper consultation within regional communities asking how you can address what was an over-allocated system. Like it's the policy that we have now, but it is really, really top-down um, and imposing and no one really likes it. Because I, I did look, uh, I went to a presentation once and there was a guy from Berkeley, I think University in California, and in the US, there is no war controls whatsoever. Like, it's just a free-for-all, and those aquifers are, especially those we spoke to. What's his name? What was that guy's name, Matt? Uh, yeah, I know the one you mean. The Italian Maybe. guy. Um, yeah. Jay Frag... Fem, 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 Femulieti. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Tip of my tongue. But that was, that was the thing. Like, there is no, no controls over there in water. Are they looking at Australia as a view of saying <laughs> they can copy us? Well, yeah, after just having bagged it as the worst policy design ever, when you compare it to somewhere like the US where they had to literally get days away from Lake Mead hitting complete Deadpool level and the lights going out in Las Vegas before they the best multi-jurisdictional agreement they could come up with was a three-year plan and they were saved at the last minute by a really big snowmelt. You know, that is an example of like total and utter, even at the basin plans most dysfunctional, it's still, you know, light years ahead in terms of um, at least getting parties at the table to agree 
states, federal government at the table to agree to reduce their take from the river. The Colorado River is still over allocated. And when this three year agreement runs out, it'll be over allocated again. And their mega drought in that system has gone for more than 20 years now. Because so, yeah. Seabot does have water futures now for California. But again, I think, as, a, as, I don't a, know as, a, as a voluntary system. Details. Yeah. Throughout this conversation, we're jumping between basin plan and water markets a lot. Um, and no America. Yeah, and no America. Going back to water <laughs> markets, um, there are some of those more sophisticated, um, I guess, instruments in the water market. They're not hugely used, but um, yeah, I think there's people in the market who would like to see a, a, that to a greater degree agree here but um yeah we can't even get we can't even get futures markets for the, livestock they're not on the apex Look, <laughs> can't get futures market for livestock up and running how are we going to get futures markets for water up and running <laughs> okay, okay, um, okay, well, is that just i don't think we have the critical mass for it right no yeah i don't think so either oh. and, and and maybe not and like you said it goes back to the education piece as well andrew that people aren't they're not familiar you know if they're not familiar with how the water market well, works well, it's, well Clint and I are the only two in this call who are tertiary educated in agriculture, yeah? Mm. Clint, how much did you do in terms of your whole degree on risk management and trading? Uh, well, I did econs as well. So there was a bit of the, you know, fundamental theory behind all of those. Yeah, but like, what, 12 weeks? Yeah. I mean, when I walked away, I could tell you what each of those things were and I was studying as you know I was doing these units as the US economy went belly up in the financial crisis so you kind of got a real world lesson in yeah. everything that we were talking about suddenly a lot of lecturer slides had collateralized debt obligations penciled into the end of them <laughs> but it, nowadays like I, I did my master's at UQ and it was two lectures on it and I'm pretty sure the lecture got most of it wrong. I was listening to it going, <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, that's not how it works. Um, but it seemed like you got to most of the unis now, like the amount of work done on that sort of stuff is is minimal. I think for a uni, your best approach would be to at least have you be able to name them. And I feel like they're things that the workplace is always going to teach you more about than anything at oh, uni. But- so or get or get Clint get, get Clint to come in as a guest lecturer, at, you know, five hundred dollars an hour or something, just to just to whip through the basics. Oh, I'm like, I don't think I've done a very good. Day. <laughs> are, you, are you going to write a book I, on this? No, because again, like, I don't think I know enough about it. Like, I'm still learning all the time. You, you mentioned earlier about some of like the stakeholders across, you know, that are all different. You know, the environmental people are, uh, are not happy. The farming community, agricultural parts are not happy. Indigenous groups haven't had a say at all. They're not happy. Isn't there that old saying that when you're doing stuff in a policy setting and everyone's unhappy, that means you're actually doing the right thing because you're kind of not pleasing anyone specifically? You're kind of I just, going the through point the- I was trying to make there is the top downness of it. Like, um, There's not not enough not enough consultative process. Yeah, like, nobody grass. feels. It's a I feel like maker's wet dream. Nobody <laughs> feels like they're part of the process. They feel like the process is being imposed upon them. Yep. 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 Straight that out of those sense. public service dolts in Canberra. That's... <laughs> 
Well, I mean, like, yeah, it's the opposite of a grassroots reform. Hmm. And that's why you saw the basin plan on fire and, um, like, yeah, it was a very interventionist style policy. There's going to be a lot of change in it in the next, not change, but there'll be a lot more controversy because I noticed the NFF came out with something today about it. Um, this stuff from David Little Proud in the newspapers. It's going to keep being controversial until it's 2027, I'm guessing. Well, I think one, you know, the press releases from both sides are always extremely hyperbolic. You know, it's either we're never going to eat again or the entire environment is on the brink of collapse. And I think they do that because there's so few journos who are willing to engage with this space that, you know, to get wider interest, you have to go with those extremely shocking kind of headlines just to get, like most journos, you know, run from water stories because they know how complex it is. Mm. And then I guess, yeah, that, you know, from a media comms point of view, if you're trying to land that press release on air or in an article, you're going to go for the most extreme terminology and phrasing that you can muster up. And that's how the, I guess it adds fuel to the fire and how hyperbolic this all gets. Can we move on? Please. <laughs> I, as a journalist, yeah. As, as the, one, well, as, the, as uh, the ag journal, uh -huh. three times in a row. And you mm -hmm. won another, you know, another award last year, do you not? Do you not win yeah, National Press Club Award? National Rural Press Club Award? No. You sure? Yeah, yeah that was... Yeah, you did. No, I might have been yes. a runner-up, but I would have remembered if I got a check. No, no, no. No, that was, the one, that was the one that we, that was the one that we hosted. You mean no, that one, Andrew? No, no, no. That was that one. No, you get good money at the National Rural Press Club, and I don't remember getting one of those checks. Were you runner-up? Potentially. Oh, sorry, mate. Runner-up. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't mean to. I didn't, didn't need mean to. to. You didn't need to bring it up again. Bloody hell, Andrew! <laughs> oh, it, it was calf. Calf got one. Sorry, mate. Couldn't think. Is of that? Is that? Is that? Um, Kath Bigfoot Sullivan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Calf Nutrient Sullivan. Um, the. Hey, hey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> You got runner-up. An outbreak of foot and mouth disease cost the UK billions in two thousand and one. So how can Australia keep it out? You got you got beaten by Gabrielle Chan and Natasha May. Did you um did Again, for that two story? Very deserving winners. Well, they're that, all winners. Did, Everyone's a winner. Uh, it, what was your that, no, that story on um on the it was at FMD in, in the yeah. UK. Yeah, did never you mentioned, never mentioned did me. you, Well, that's what I was going to say. You could have you could have interviewed someone that was there at the time that lived well, I did. experience. I interviewed the chief vet. Yeah. What does he know? What does he know? Well, she was a vet on the ground during that time. So. Oh, in her ivory tower. It wasn't like me yeah. living next to it. <laughs> trying to... No, trying she, to trying she was to putting bullets in... She was putting bullets in cattle skulls. Yeah, but Andrew's, um, trying, to, Andrew's trying to woo the uh, young lassies into a bit of canoodling <laughs> and there's all piles of bodies being burnt <laughs> up and... That was difficult so talking. I, I, should, I should have seen this question. What was, out of all the stories you've done, yeah, what has been the most, apart from water, what's been the most enjoyable story? Because we asked the same about Warwick when he was on, what his favourite story was, and his was pigeon pi milk. Pigeon, pigeon milk, yeah. 
Um, I've got one on the boil now. It's all been shot, but um, it's about feral animal control in the Otways Ranges. No. Locals kind of finding local solutions to that. And this awesome guy who um, is basically killing the deer there are some of the finest raised livestock in the planet. They eat whatever they want. They feel no stress. They have no predators. And he puts a bullet through their head in the dead of the night and they die without any stress. And I've eaten some of it at a really expensive it's, restaurant and it's the most tender juicy fantastic. Mm. meat that I've ever tasted. Because ranges would be, it's pretty dense, isn't it? Like forest and stuff there. Yeah, it's, I don't even want to think about how deer are, like we know this already, deer are completely out of control, especially in Victoria. They're running through the yeah. streets of Fitzroy. They're breaking into houses in Elphington. The population is so far gone now that in the Otways, I don't know how they would ever get back on top of it. You can't aerial shoot. You can't no. really bait. It's just... It does tell, like, it's, it's my favourite meat, is venison. Should get around some Dharma Dharma free range. Oh, well, there might be there might be a new a new podcast sponsor. Should yeah. get him on. We should do. I like a bit of venison. So is that your your most favoured story because you got to eat succulent venison, or is it also the story no, itself? It's, um, over the past couple of years, I've been slowly assuming more and more and more roles, and this will be the first thing that has been you know, reported, produced, scripted, shot, and hopefully edited all by myself. So I'm Is that because the ABC budget's gone that you're doing everything? Or? No, it's because <laughs> I'm such a control freak that I'm trying to control everything, but I'm slowly learning that well, eventually you can't actually it's that jack of all trades master so we, of none. So we, yeah, but, but we, we do all in house we do all of our editing in house. We mm. all the scripts. We spend hours working on a script. In your production suite. That's production why we, suite. Uh, yeah, that's why we get along so well. And... That's, why we, that's why we get along so well. We're all like peas in a pod with very exacting standards. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's also learning to shoot. You know, when I started in this job, I just wanted to make radio stories. You know, I was obsessed with the NPR style of news storytelling. Um, and, you know, you slowly close that gap of, what you picture in your head and what you can are capable of making. And then I kind of got a little bit bored with life when radio was becoming very autopilot um, and started dipping a toe into TV and then started to get bored of life again when it was just you standing around while the cameraman did all the work. And so now the gap between how I picture these stories coming out and how they actually land on the pages so extremely that, vast, and so it's actually challenging trying to close that up. So that venison one will be a landline one, is it? Uh, it's going all over. It, um, I'm tempted to push it out just to YouTube. Um, okay. Like ABC YouTube, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you haven't thought about moving into like a, you know, how that Stacey Dooley Presents stuff. You could uh, do a Clint, Clint Jasper I'm Presents. Not, I'm not a presenter. Okay. Why not? Like presenting, you, sh you shut that specific... shut that down pretty quickly, didn't you? <laughs> well, it's, presenting is a very specific skill, and you know those people are just so on and um, yeah, like 
my brain is interrupting me every five seconds of words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I get tongue tied very quickly. You, you could do it David um, Attenborough style. You could do yeah, well, I can sit behind a mic and read a script, but that's, there's really no art to that. Well, I think David Attenborough would disagree with you. <laughs> Sir, David, <laughs> Sir David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah but David Attenborough can also, you know, could probably host a TV. He can sit on a TV panel and be just as engaging. He could deliver a, a public talk and be just as engaging. Like I fall to pieces in any of those situations. <laughs> I like <clears throat> stopping and thinking and, um, yeah, I, like, I think Kirsten said it on the last um, program, live unedited material is my worst nightmare. <laughs> and you come on here. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we. That's why. That's why it took. We took ages to to you know kind of convince you to agree to come on. I shouldn't have done it for this topic. <laughs> Should have come on and talked about the deer story. <laughs> so you've you've been you've been around the journalistic space for a while, and you you've won the three most coveted awards consecutively in a <laughs> row. When um when when they finally do a, a kind of biopic style, you know, biography of the life of Clint Jasper, who are you going to insist plays you as the role of Clint Jasper? Which actor would you put in your spot? Oh, oh yeah, I know the answer is the one. Maybe they can shoot it <laughs> POV style. So, oh, like yeah. a docu documentary. So you actually play yeah. yourself, playing yourself well, in the movie. You're just seeing the camera through my eyes. They don't have to cast someone. <laughs> oh dear. Oh. I, I think I know That's... what Matt was thinking though. Well, the the person that we used for the, was it Jake Gyllenhaal? Who was his name? Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> young Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that could be it. And we'd have if Andrew Whitelaw gets a guest appearance in the movie slot, you'd be um. Yeah, Butler. I was going to say uh, Ewan McGregor. Oh, either either or. Yeah. More, more like Robert Carlyle, I think. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And Matt, oh, and Matt would be Ricky Gervais and there's no one else. So. <laughs> oh, there we go. All right, we're getting silly now. We're yeah. getting silly, so that's usually a sign. Right, oh, I think I understand the Murray-Darling Basin plan. Well, if anyone has blown their stack during this discussion and is midway through typing an angry email, just send your complaints to Ida. A, a free-flowing discussion. As I said, I'm, I'm not great live. Please refer to my words on the page for the actual information that I'm putting out. Oh, wait, or send your complaints through the AgWatchers. We're good at dealing with complaints, aren't Please we, Andrew? do not send them to me. <laughs> we, 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 we've got our own complaints division now. We can't afford a, a microphone, but we can afford... Yeah, on iTunes. <laughs> no, we, we, we get the occasional criticism as, as a text message or a, or, or a tweet or an old bloke grabbing us at a conference. Um, well, water you... happens to, you know, my water stories do get the phone buzzing the most. And it was even, I put up that explainer this week and yeah. it had a chart in it that um, explained all the basin plan targets and someone emailed and um, they were like, this chart misrepresents the, <laughs> the targets and you've mixed the colours up. And I was thinking and I was like, I emailed back and I said, you know, the target wasn't, the, it was just supposed to show that there are different chunks of targets, you know, there's, yeah. that it wasn't supposed to be precisely proportional to how much they make up the overall target. 
And then the colors got, I was like, I don't know what he's talking about, the colors. And I got home and at about 10 o'clock that night and realized, and I was like, I'll just go back because he wrote a whole essay back to me and he was like, now you've done it deliberately. And I was like, God, what have I done? And I realized the entire legend was wrong. <laughs> the chart really was misrepresenting the targets. <laughs> so call our graphics person at 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, please, please change this. Typical ABC. Bloody. Well, this, I will always. Is this always, the, pro the pro progress of Commonwealth water recovery under the Basin Plan one? Yeah, it's the single bar chart. Single no, bar. no, that's it's the one with the water picture behind it. Uh, it's been uh, fixed the, up now. The big one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just one chunk. Break, of break, breakdown of water recovery sources. Yeah, that's a very loud chart. I'm not like I. We Ho hopefully, we, we, we do a lot of charts, and I say it's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty loud chart. Hopefully you didn't use our biggest complaint we get for charts is our colours aren't distinguishable enough for people with colour blindness. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's a common one, isn't it? Common. I can't well, tell I think the our website sorts all of that out. I think that's you decide, the you... reason we use the font that we do it. It's been tuned yeah. in for accessibility and I think we're uh legally obliged to be as accessible as possible. We're not. No, not at all. But I think uh, that's the whole thing. The wor I think the worst trait a journalist can ever have is doubling down on their mistakes. So, like, the best thing you can do is just cop it and try and do better next time. Because <laughs> that's what, because it's, it's always good for us to get viewpoints from the likes of yourself, Warwick. Well, especially with water, you can only know what you know. And just when you think you've known everything, someone comes in and tells you more. And you, you know, you constantly get accused of having an agenda when quite often it's just a blind spot. Well, Matt, Matt got accused of that. Matt was on the ABC yesterday. Was it yesterday mm. or the day before? <laughs> yesterday. On, on, the, uh, on the Warwick Joe Rogan long show. <laughs> yeah. hey, Warwick started talking about mushrooms again and whatever else. Uh, but you got accused of being... It's not something that we get accused of very often. Not it's often, people, but yeah. It's been on the was, fence. Skirting, skirting around the question and being very politician-like, not not giving an answer. So no, they, you, you weren't given the answer that they liked. There's a difference. Uh, uh, I might have been. I might have been a little bit kind of careful <laughs> in my careful in my language. Just so you know, it's one of those another emotive issues of why does a sale yard price not representing the retail price mm. and who's ripping whom off? So you have to sometimes you know tread delicately there. So because um, yeah. Matt and I, just so you know, Clint that we are uh, we are what do you call it next year's uh, cadetships for the abc yeah um, yeah that's uh, that's where we really colleagues. want yeah, yeah that's where we, yeah so, so we, we, we're, we're, we're not getting keep, paid we, we're not getting paid enough as an analyst we want to go to those <laughs> stratospheric <laughs> stratospheric abc journalist salaries two low incomes to your mix and they might come out as an average income and then what was what what the cost of living crisis has done to you? <laughs> I'm hoping that you could be our mentor when we start the ABC. So if you can put a good word in for us when we when we get a reference check, I just tell them it's not true what they say about us. Well, you'll be welcome in the regional family. Good. As long as we can keep our shirts. And well, we've paid so much for these Agwatcher shirts. Yeah, yeah. And Andrew, Andrew would fill the diversity quota nicely. <laughs> You'll have access to some microphones. Yeah, that's true. Better access <laughs> microphones. But the thing is, like this, this is genuinely the question. Yeah, but we need to get microphones. Yeah, mm. we need to work out which ones to get. 
Yeah. And what if we get the wrong ones? Because remember that stupid thing we had? Mm. That thing, that Rhodes podcast thing that's cost $1,200 that was in a previous job. That was so complicated and it sounded worse, in my view. <laughs> but I think if you get too good, it's like playing ice hockey, yeah? Mm. If you're going to buy $1,500 skates and you're not a very good skater, you're worse than if you just had $200 <laughs> skates because you can't use them. <laughs> so, you know, well, you know, I think, yeah, it's what you've got is clearly doing the job. So, if you don't need to spend the money, then yeah, more money for but after we're, we're after so far drinks. out of lockdown and so many people's podcast pipe dreams that I'm sure Facebook Marketplace is littered with secondhand broadcast equipment. <laughs> That's a good one. Maybe I'll call Mercado. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad, wasn't it? <laughs> don't worry, they don't listen to us no, anyway. Do, no, they listen to the end of the podcast. <laughs> oh dear. Okay, we're going to be sued now. Right up. All right, we better go. Thanks again, Clint, for your knowledge and for coming on at uh, at short notice. Um, we'll have to return the favour at some stage. And uh, <laughs> have a good evening. That's it. See you when you've got Happy nothing Friday. on. Ciao for now.